last week we talked about how Gabriel went to this little town uh, of not much importance, uh, Nazareth. And in Nazareth was this teenage girl, Mary, who Gabriel appears to and says, you know, you have found great favor, you have found great grace before God. And he proceeds to tell her, you are going to be with child, and this child is going to be the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's going to be the Messiah, the one who would save his people from their sins. And we know that at first this you know, conversation, this appearance frightens, this greeting frightens Mary a bit. And you know, the angel says, well, what the angel always says, uh, do not be afraid. But uh, she asks a good question. How is this possible? I've... I'm a virgin. I've not yet consummated uh, my marriage. Uh, how is this going to be? How is this going to happen? And uh, Gabriel tells her that the help of the Holy Spirit and the power of God, she would have this child in her womb. And, you know, of course, the, the part of this that stands out most is just how important this child is going to be. But the other thing that stands out is Mary's faith. She has such a strong faith here to say, let it be done to me, to your servant, just as you have said. And this could have cost Mary everything. It could have cost her life. It could have cost her husband. It could have cost her her reputation. It could have cost her all of these things. And yet, in her faith, she says, let it be done to your servant, just as you have said. Let it be according to your word. And that's where we find ourselves picking back up this morning in verse 39. And I don't, you probably hear it often as much as I do this time of year. We hear certain words, right? There are certain words that just, they pop up and they're in our songs and they're in our commercials and they're all over the place, these certain words. And one word that I hear so often this time of year is joy, joy. Like this is, you know, the song said, this is the most wonderful time of the year. And this is a time of year when we think of joy. And as I read through these verses this morning, as I've been reading through them all week, it just screams joy. There's joy written all throughout these verses. There's joy for everyone involved. And it's just filled with joy. And we'll talk more about it as we go along this morning. But it's a much-needed reminder of where our joy comes from. And so we're going to just jump right in to verse 39 and go through verse 41. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we see right off the bat that with haste, Mary leaves to go see Elizabeth. It would have been likely a three to four day journey from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea. And uh, it's possible, it says with haste, it was within a day or two of the announcement from Gabriel. It could have been longer. Uh, Good possibility that Mary would have been about a week pregnant at the point that we see her here. And we know from the text that this was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. But the question is, why did she go with such haste? 
That word haste, it's quickly, to go quickly with great haste. Go, go, go. Why is she going with such great haste? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why she went with such great haste. Imagine Mary, if you will, after Gabriel appears to her and shares all of these things, and she has this encounter with Gabriel, and then after that, imagine what's going through her head after this. Can you imagine the questions that are going through her mind, the, the wondering what all of this means? What, I'm sure she didn't fully understand everything that was happening. And so I think one of the reasons that she went was to seek out confirmation. One of the things that Gabriel told uh, Mary was that your relative Elizabeth is with child the one who was barren and now in her old age is going to have a child and you know can you imagine maybe that thought of I've got all these questions and I'm wondering these things and it's not a lack of faith she acted in faith to say yes I, I let it be done to me but I think there's these she has these questions and these thoughts and she's wondering what does this all mean and I think for her to go and see Elizabeth and to see that what Gabriel said to her is true that she Elizabeth is with child I think there's this confirmation and I think it would really be something that would add to her faith that would increase that would continue to even grow her faith that she already had and then I think another reason why she went with great haste is if there was anybody that she can share this with, who would it be? It would be Elizabeth. After everything that's going on in Elizabeth's life, if there's anybody who would be able to understand what she's going through, it would be Elizabeth. They're both recipients of this supernatural event. And so I think she went, to know, or went knowing, man, I've got to tell somebody, and if there's anybody that I can tell, it's going to be Elizabeth. And so she makes great haste to go over there. And she gets there and she enters the house and she greets Elizabeth. And they see that as soon as, she, as soon as Elizabeth hears the greeting, the baby in her womb leaps. You remember what was told to Zechariah by Gabriel about this child, John, that would, be, or that would come to them? He would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And I think that this is a glimpse of that here, filled with the Holy Spirit, that when he hears the voice of Mary, the greeting of Mary, the baby leaps in her womb. The word here for leap, it's interesting. It's also could be translated as skipped. Can you imagine that? You're with child and your child skips in your womb? Yeah, I can't imagine but this word here, this baby leaps, leaps, for, or leaps in the womb. And we see this phrase leaps or leaping used elsewhere in Scripture. And in occasion, we see it used in relation to the Messiah. Example of this is Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall, come, or shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And so... We'll refer to him as John. John in the womb. John leaps for joy at the sound of Mary's greeting. 
leaps for joy because of the child that is in Mary's womb. He had such joy. And a matter of fact, this is a joy that we know would continue in John's life. He would have such joy for the Messiah. In John 3, 29, John says this, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. This was a joy that started all the way in the womb and continued. But you see, John is not the only one here filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that Elizabeth also becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. And all these reactions just speak to the miraculous nature of this whole situation. Now, we'll clarify something here because I've heard people ask before. Um, I, I thought the Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost. So how is the Holy Spirit working before Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people in Pentecost? Well, when you read throughout the Old Testament and here at the beginning of the New Testament, you see instances where the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people to help them perform a specific task. Oftentimes it was prophetic in nature. We see Elizabeth here. Next week, we'll see Zechariah. We see it throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit involved in coming upon somebody to use them for a task, a specific purpose. And we'll see the Holy Spirit work here in Elizabeth's life for a specific purpose. And so how will she respond now that she is filled with the Holy Spirit? In verse 42, it says this, And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Filled with the Holy Spirit here, Elizabeth begins to... Uh, speak with a loud cry, a loud voice. I always kind of read that and wondered, how loud is loud? You know, we hear a loud cry, a loud voice. Maybe we have varying degrees of what we think loud is. But I wonder how loud it was. Was it loud enough where everybody around her, outside her home, was able to hear? Uh, Just in her joyful uh, cheer, her loud voice, her loud cry? But we see her begin to share this prophetic response. And I say prophetic response because at this point, she doesn't, the text doesn't tell us that she knew. We see the, the leaping of John in Elizabeth's womb, and then she's filled with the Holy Spirit and shares this kind of prophetic message. And so we see the Holy Spirit is on her. I'm a mix between that and the fact that the baby leapt for joy, I think, gives her... Uh, you know, shows that she now knows what's going on here. But she shares this prophetic response, and she starts by pronouncing blessings on Mary and her child. Twice Elizabeth uses a Greek word here, uh, eulageo, and eulageo is a word that means well-spoken of. And this word, uh, well-spoken of, it often refers to praise and approval or to invoke blessings It's from this word that we actually get our word, eulogy, to speak well of or well-spoken of. And so she starts here by saying, blessed are you, well-spoken are you among women. 
And this phrase, among women, it's actually a Hebrew idiom for you are the most blessed of all women. And this means you are the most honored of women. And the reason she is most honored of women is because the child that is in her womb, the child that has been conceived in her womb, is why she is blessed, why she is most honored of all women. Matter of fact, it's said that to the Jews, a woman's greatness was in a lot of ways tied to their children. If a child had great standing, a, um, you know, had something about them that made them great, that was often uh, held in connection to the mother. They were honored because of that child. So she says, or she says blessed are you among all women you are the most honored of women and then she says blessed is the fruit of your womb blessed is the child well spoken of is this child elizabeth now knows that she is carrying the messiah and she knows how important this child will be the greatness of this child what he will do what he will accomplish what his purpose is she she knows these things and blessed is the fruit of your womb blessed is this child and we know that she knows because it's proved next when she asks the question, why has it been granted that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Who am I that the, the mother of my Lord would come into my presence, that would come before me? Who am I? And the word here for Lord, it's a word that means one who has control, like a master or ruler over their slaves or their subordinates. She's saying, the, the mother of my Lord, the mother of my master, the one who is in control. And then Elizabeth, we see here, tells Mary of what happened. And you came in and you greeted me, and this child that is in my womb leapt for joy at the sound of your greeting. And, and Elizabeth then says, blessed is she who believed. Blessed is a different word here than blessed used the previous couple of times. This word for blessed here is one that means both blessed and happy. Happy and blessed is she who believed that what was said it was a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. And so we see joy here, joy from John in the womb, joy from Elizabeth and what I love about what comes next is in verse 46. But before we get into verse 46, we see Mary hear all of these things. Mary is hearing, she's listening to everything that's happening. And out of everything that she hears, out of everything that's going on, she just rejoices. She just praises God out of all of these things that are happening to her, of all these things that have been said to her. It just causes her to rejoice and pour out this worship, to pour out this praise. She rejoices because of what God is doing in this moment. And this, this song that she starts to sing, it's such an amazing Song Verses 46 through 55 are, are such amazing verses. And I think the reason these are so amazing, it's just filled to the brim with Hebrew theology. Hebrew theology, there is Old Testament references all throughout 
these verses, throughout these words and this song that she sang. It's just filled with references and quotations from the Old Testament. And Mary may be, as many have called her, just a simple peasant girl, but man, she knew her scriptures. It's clear in these words. She knew her scripture. As a matter of fact, most girls her age, around 13, would have known scripture. It would have been taught to her. It would have been given to her. She would have memorized it. She would have known the scriptures. And we see here, that's exactly what she does. She knows the scripture. And so if you will allow me for just a second to make a plug, if you will. You see, (laughs) 13-year-old girl knows scripture so much she can recite it in song just out of her heart out of her memory they just come out and praise and worship and and rejoicing to god and the thing that always stands out to me is when we look at the world we live in today we are not short of resources you can pull out your phone this morning and you can read through the bible and translation after translation after translation you can go online you can read it in a, a physical copy you can read it on your phone on your tablet you can you know, have it spoken to you through your phone. You have resources upon resources. You have podcasts, you have YouTube videos, you have everything. We have everything at our fingertips and we don't know the word. We don't know it. We don't study it enough. We don't memorize it. We don't hide it in our hearts. We have it at every availability and we don't know it. And so I said, let me plug for just a second. This is why what we do on Sunday mornings and Monday nights and Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights are so very, very important. When we can come together and we can be in the word together, we can hear the word of God together, we can study the word of God together, we can memorize the word of God together. It's important. It's important. Man, what we do on Wednesday nights or Monday nights, men, if you're not going to Bible study, we encourage you to greatly come together and and be in the Word together with other men. Women, Tuesday nights, when you have Bible study, come together and be in the Word. Wednesday nights, what we do is so important. It is, and I'm not just talking about D-Zone. D-Zone is important because we're teaching kids the word and we're showing them the word. And it's so great to get text messages from Nora during the week and she's sharing the interactions that she has with students at the school. And they're saying, oh, hey, uh, you know, I was thinking about this this week and that's just like what you said at Wednesday night at, at church, isn't it? Isn't that what you said? And it's sticking, and Cody's upstairs and he's teaching the kids the, the word of God, teaching the teens the word of God. And he's telling them to, to read, your, read your Bible, read the word outside of here, not just here, but at home too. Read and be in the word. And adults, go to Bible study on Wednesdays. If you're not, I would encourage you, go to Bible study because there you hear the word and you talk about the word and how do you apply the word and how do you live the word out. It's so important It is so important. It's so important. And it's not just important here, though. When you're not here, read the Word. Be in the Word. Memorize the Word. We can memorize. We memorize song lyrics. Thank you for letting me uh, share that, that plug there. It's important. It is so important that we know 
the word. Mary knows the word. She's able in this song to just pour out of her the word. And it's, it's shown, if you think about it, if you, if you look at this song, this very, very much is in the same structure, the same style, very much similar to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. In this song, you see allusions to the Psalms, to the law, to covenant theology. It's just amazing what she, what she sings here, how it pours out. This song is known as the Magnificat. It's a Latin word that means to magnify or to exalt or glorify. And you'll notice throughout the song, eight times the phrase is used, he has. He has. And this could mean in the past, in the present, in the future. It's already a done deal if it says he has and it's a future event to take place because we know that when God says something, he does what he says. And so even if it hasn't happened yet, it will happen. It is already a guarantee that he has because he is faithful and he does everything he says he's going to do. No promise leaves his lip that he does not fulfill. And so let's jump in to her song in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What's so neat about this song, too, is when you read through it, you see that it's really kind of split into three parts. In the first part, verses 46 through 49, being about what God has done for Mary. She starts off with this kind of internal worship that pours from the inside out. It starts with, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's in the deepest parts of Mary. The inner person, her soul magnifies him, proclaims him, celebrates him, approves of him. I love this because it's not just lip service. I think we do that, right? Like we say, we praise his name, we we praise your name, we bring you glory, we bring you glory, but it's lip service because it's not really in our heart. Our hearts aren't really centered or focused on him. And so the words we speak, they're really just lip service. But here for Mary, it's not lip service, it's real It's real, and it's just pouring out of her. My soul magnifies, exalts you, God. This word magnifies, it carries the idea of enlarging something, right? If you think about it with like a magnifying glass, what does a magnifying glass do? It enlarges something, makes it bigger. That's what this word here, to magnify, means to make it large, for it to grow larger, this praise, this approval, this celebration, this proclamation of him. We see the same attitude throughout Scripture. In Psalm 34, 2 through 3, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. First Chronicles seventeen twenty three through 24. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken. And your name will be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel is Israel's God, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. 
In Acts 10, 46, we get a glimpse of this, where they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, praising God, magnifying God, worshiping God. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The word here for rejoices, I love this. It means overjoyed. Overjoyed. This isn't just a regular joy. This is overjoyed. My spirit is overjoyed in you, in God. It's not a small joy. It's a grandiose joy. It is a big joy. She has a big joy because of God, her Savior. And I love that she says God, her Savior, because even in this state, she is remembering, she's reminded of the fact that, yes, she may be carrying the Messiah, but guess what? She's still an ordinary human being, just like me and you, just a broken, sinful human being, just like me and you, who is in need of a Savior. She recognizes her need for a Savior wonder if it clicked in her mind often that she's carrying in her womb the Messiah who would be her Savior. And she says, you have seen, you have looked on the humble estate of your servant. He has seen his humble servant. And I, I love what R.C. Sproul says about this verse. He says, one of the reasons why Mary sings this song of praise is that she recognized something of great importance. God knew who she was. He noticed her. As a peasant of Nazareth, she was not considered to be very important by anybody except her family. Yet God selected Mary to be the mother of Christ. So from the depths of her heart, she cries out, my soul magnifies the Lord. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Mary experienced what every human being wants to experience, a sense of her dignity. Man, to think about that, that for her to be feeling in this moment, God knows who I am. I'm insignificant. I'm not important. I'm not a queen. I'm not royalty. I'm poor. And yet I am known by God. Man, how, and, and she can't help but sing to know that, like, I am known. Uh, I'm not worthy of this. I, I'm nothing to the world, but yet I am known by God. And yet in the Psalms, you see the psalmist praising God for this fact that he pays attention to the people that the world does not pay attention to. He pays attention to the, to the lowly, to the least of these Psalm 136, 23, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 138, 6, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. And she says, all generations will call me blessed. And Mary knows the reason why she will be called blessed is not because of her doing, but because of what this child will mean and what he will represent and what he will do. This she is blessed because she gets to, to be the mother of this child, to know that God is using her, what God has chosen her to do. And, you know, we see this mentioned later on in Luke, in Luke 11. Somebody mentioned that she was blessed, Luke eleven twenty seven, And he said, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. She was truly blessed. And then she recognizes two things. He is mighty and he is holy. 
She recognizes and sings of his, his might and his holiness. He has done a mighty work in her. This is truly a mighty work. It's a supernatural work. It's a powerful work that he is doing in her life. And he is holy. He's both powerful and holy. He is mighty, right? Our God is mighty. There is nobody as strong as our God. Psalm 50, verse 1, The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Psalm 62, 7, On God rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Psalm 106, 2, Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? He is mighty and he is holy. He is holy in his majesty. Everything about him is holy. His, his moral conduct, he is, he is without sin. He is without blemish. He is the epitome of holy. Everything he does is right and true and just because he is holy. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Leviticus twenty twenty six. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Psalm ninety nine five. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. And we move into verse fifty. And it says, in his, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And so we see that Mary's song shifts from what God has done for her to now what God has done, will do, is doing for the humble and really for those of us today. He continues to do these things. So it starts with, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy, his mercy. He is a God of mercy. And I, I think we need to stop and remember this from time to time, that God really is a God of mercy. We want to talk about God being loving. He is so loving. He is a loving God. He's loving, he's loving, he's loving, and it's true. And one of the ways that he shows his love is in his mercy. And the thing is, we don't deserve his mercy. None of us really do. We don't deserve his mercy, and yet he chooses to give us his mercy. Psalm eighty-six, fifteen. but you, O Lord, are a God of merciful are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If he decided today, I'm going to get rid of all of you, he would be absolutely just in doing so. But he poured upon us his mercy. He is merciful. And his mercy continues from generation to generation, those who fear him. This word here for fear, it's not fear like for those who are afraid of him. It's this word fear that means reverence and awe and humble submission to him. For those of us who, are, who put our reverence and our awe and our trust and our humble submission to him, his mercy continues over and over and over. And again, it's without ceasing his mercy. He continues to be merciful. And then she says, he has shown strength with his arm. Arm is often used as a metaphor for God's strength especially when it comes to battle. His 
arm, his arm is one of strength. And then she goes into this, these words that she said, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has scattered out those who are proud and draws closer to him those who are humble. You see, there's a danger of having a proud heart. There's a danger in having a heart that is is filled with pride, a a heart that is filled with pride. It's one that has an attitude of superiority or an inflated view of oneself, one that exalts itself. To say that you have a proud heart, it means that you have this inflated view of who you are and you exalt yourself and you put yourself first and it's all about you. There's a lack of humility, an attitude that is judgmental. And guess what? Scripture tells us there will not, this will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 21.4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. And Daniel 4.37, Nebuchadnezzar, as now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And Mary continues this thought by talking about how God brings down the mighty from their thrones and exalts the humble. He's fed the hungry and sent the rich away. Warren Wearsby puts it like this, the common people of that day were almost helpless when it came to justice and civil rights. They were often hungry, downtrodden, and discouraged, and there was no way for them to fight against the system. But what Mary seems to be saying here is that the worldly order of things is going to be flipped upside down. It's going to be flipped on its head. God will bring down those who bring injustice in the world and will lift up those that are rejected by the world. He will bring down those who try to go against him, to fight against him, to live against him. Obadiah 1.4, though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Isaiah 13.11, I will punish the word or the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. And what Mary is saying here, this will be done and has been done and will continue to be done because of the child that she carries. Think of an event in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as, he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, I think humility is important. The understanding of knowing who we are before God and knowing the truth that we need Him. We shouldn't think higher of ourselves than we do. We aren't to have this spirit, this heart of pride. Instead, we need to come before Him knowing who He is and the truth is that we need Him. We can't do anything apart from Him without Him, apart from Him. 
and life is not good. We need to exalt him, give him awe and reverence that he is due and not exalt ourselves. But then we go into verse 54 and 55. And Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So we've seen what God has done for her, what God is doing for the humble, and then we see here to what God is going to do for the nation of Israel. This child of God is showing that he is faithful to the promise to the nation of Israel. Over and over and over again, he showed mercy to the people and the covenants that he made to them. Over and over again, he is showing his mercy. And over and over and over again, they stumble. And over and over and over again, they fall. And over and over and over again, they forget who their God is. And yet, over and over and over again, he stays merciful in his covenant promises. He continues to do what he says. He does not forget his promises made. Psalm 98, one through three. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And we see Mary mention Abraham. How many promises, you know, did God make to, to Abraham? Read throughout the story of Abraham and over and over and over again, he makes these promises to Abraham. And guess what? All of these things are fulfilled in Christ. And again, this is despite the fact that over and over and over again, Israel continued to make great mistakes he remembers his promise to Abraham. He remembers the covenants that he made with Israel and he will do what he has promised. He will continue to be merciful to them. He is merciful indeed. Then we go into verse 56. And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Now, scripture doesn't actually tell us that Mary stayed with Elizabeth until John was born. We kind of hear that when we read through this text as she stayed until John was born. It doesn't tell us this, but the fact that she's six months pregnant and three more months would put her around nine months, which would be time for delivery, it's most likely that she did stay and help Elizabeth. It would have been uh, very beneficial uh, for Elizabeth, for Mary to stay. She would have been able to help her do the things that she needed to do. It would have been the summer months there. It would have been hot. It would have been hard for somebody who was pregnant to continue to do those things that they needed to do. Mary would have been a great help for that. But here's the thing that stands out to me about this text. And if I can be honest, I'll just, I'll say this. This holiday season hasn't really felt normal to me. And I don't know what normal is, but it just hasn't felt like it has in holidays past. And I have found myself feeling a tad bit joyless. And I don't know, maybe you're there too. Maybe it's the stress of life, maybe it's busyness, maybe it's problems and troubles and things that you're going through, and you're just feeling not very joyful. And I look at this passage and I see joy, it just feels like it's all over it. 
you know, joy for John leaping in the womb when he hears the voice of Mary, Elizabeth expressing her joy through the Holy Spirit about, you know, the son that is in Mary's womb, Mary being so filled with joy but she, that she can't help but sing about what God is doing. There's just so much joy, and all this joy seems to be centered around one child who is not yet born. This joy is all centered around Christ. And I guess what I can tell you is as I was going through this text this week, I I was thinking about this and you know, I texted people, I I texted David, I texted Nate. And I was just kind of talking to him. I go, you ever read a scripture that you think isn't really going to hit you the way you, it does? Like you read a scripture and maybe you've read it a ton of times and it just, yeah, I, I know this scripture. I've read it. I've looked at it before. And you just kind of read it and you move on. But then you come back to it later and you read it and it just hits you in the face. Like have you ever had one of those moments where it just like, I didn't expect this to do this to me at this time and that's what I felt this week reading this text over and over and over again because I realized as I was reading this text I what came to me is that my joy had been misplaced like my joy had been in people or things or activities and the absence of those things or the you know those things feeling different just seemed to make me feel like oh I, I don't have any joy or I'm not feeling very joyful about this and I think we kind of all do the same thing right like we misplace our joy we put our joy in other things and really I think the thing that kept coming to my mind this week was that it's not necessarily joy that we're after, really. It's these feelings, these emotions, this bit of happiness. I think we are all there from time to time. We're, we're searching for things that make us happy. And the thing is, though, apart from God, those things are temporary. If our joy is not in God, those things are temporary and fleeting and they're circumstantial. If my joy is only when things are good, when things are happy, that's not real true joy. That's just circumstantial. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be happy. I'm not saying it's, you know, oh, I find joy being with my family. Is there something wrong with that? No, but the thing is, if it's separated from God, it's not, it's not lasting, it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's circumstantial. And the thing that kept coming back to me over and over and over again this week is that our joy should be in the Lord. Our joy should be in the Lord, separated from Him. It's not true joy, it's not real joy because He is the true source of our joy. In Psalm 16:11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore the fullness of joy i love that saying in your presence there is the fullness of joy i think about when i go to a restaurant and i you know let's say el tap and i go and i i eat chip after chip after chip after chip and then the food gets there and i'm not hungry anymore because i'm full of all the chips and salsa that i ate beforehand I'm full, and I think of that, and I think of the fullness of joy is found in God. That is the extreme of joy. The, the, most, the ultimate 
fulfillment of joy is in God. It's not in things of this world. It's not in other people. It's not in other situations. It's not in things. It's not in events. It is in Him is the fullness of our joy. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. He is the source. He is the source of true joy. And the true joy that comes from him is a joy that the world cannot take from you. It is a joy that the world cannot take from you. Your trials, your circumstances, your difficulties, the things that you're going through, with this true, real joy, it can't be ripped away from you by the things of this world, by the trials, the things you face. It can't be ripped away from you if it is true joy that comes from him. Jesus is talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross, and he tells them this in six, John sixteen twenty two, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. It's a joy that can't be taken away. Augustine of Hippo once said it like this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And unless we are connected to him, unless we are connected to the source, if we're connected to the vine, if we are connected to the one who brings real joy, and we find our rest in him. Outside of that, it's not, it's circumstantial, it's temporary, it's fleeting. And here's the thing. I think Mary teaches us something very important. True joy should result in us rejoicing in the Lord. If we have true joy that comes from him, we should do nothing. We should have no desire but to praise him, to rejoice in him for what he has done and what he has done and what he will do and what he continues to do. The result of true joy should lead to rejoicing in him. Psalm 97.12, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Philippians 4.4, Paul says it this way, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice no matter your circumstances. Rejoice no matter your trials. Rejoice no matter what is going on in your life. Rejoice if you have the Lord in your life, if you have the true joy that can only come from him. Rejoice. You know, I didn't really think going into this text. I knew there was a lot of important stuff in here. But as I was reading it over and over and over again, I find myself sitting at my desk weeping over this. I realize so often that I've misplaced my joy. True joy comes only in him. True joy can only be found in him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, we can rejoice in him because we know true joy comes from him. And what greater reason have we to rejoice than what it is he's done for us? We have every reason, every reason to praise God, every reason to thank God. And yet if we had no reasons at all, we have at least this one. Ephesians 1, seven. in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And maybe you are here this morning and you do not know the true joy that comes from being in relationship, being in connection to him, finding our rest in him. And maybe that's what you need this morning. And if that's you, if you need to to come up here and talk, I'd love to talk with you about it. If you want to talk throughout the week, call, come in. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you see that Man, my joy has been misplaced. I've been, I've been looking for happiness or, or things that are really kind of worldly. And these things are fleeting. These moments of happiness are fleeting because it's not real true joy found only in Him. You know what I've realized too is that true joy found only in Him magnifies the good things because I know that he is the giver of all good things. He is the giver of all good things. When my joy is in him, it magnifies that. True joy is found in him. And if your joy has been misplaced, if you need to spend time talking with him, pouring out before him, you can do that where you're sitting or you can come up here. I'd love to pray with you. And our joy is again, is found only in him. True joy is found in him. And so let's praise him with everything that is in us. Let us magnify his name. Let us exalt him. Let us sing of what he has done for us. Let us praise him for his goodness, his mercy, his compassion, all of these things. Let us praise him this morning. Let us rejoice in him today. If you need to talk I'd love to talk with you. If you need to pray, I'd love to pray with you. But let's stand and sing and rejoice together.